Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. Okay, so we are still in our series continuing, I think this, this is week four of The Way In is the Way On series. Um, and so I wanted to offer some um, resources for people who like to go deeper than what we do here, or like to learn more, or like to really like pay attention to what they're being drawn to in a teaching. And we are limited in time, what we can cover. So I am a reader, so what I would recommend to you will be books. And the first one um, was actually given to me by uh, Bethany and Josh Ho. It's called Opening to God. They gave it to me about a year ago, and it's really good. Like, if you want to start understanding more about what we're meaning when we're talking about the way in is the way on, this is a great one, Opening to God. Uh, The other one I want to recommend is, looks like a children's book, but I would really, I consider it like a modern-day parable is more what it's like. It happens to be illustrated, happens to be written in simple language, um, but it's a really good book, and it's called You Are Special by Max Licato. And I think if you want like a really just easy, simple to understand picture of what the way in is, the way on is, read this book yourself, and then maybe also read it to your children. Um, They're both really good. Uh, So before we start today, um, in the official part of the teaching, I felt like I'm supposed to kind of share with you a little bit of what my my way on, way in, way in journey was like this week. I did the practice, you know, at the end of these we have invitations for the series we were calling them the following, the way in. So I participated in this practice, and I chose the one where I know God loves me and really likes me and really wants to be with me, and so I can sit in the awe and wonder of that love and that there's more to come. So I practiced that daily. I I did it, and it was really, really good. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, really good. And I started, like, having this image of what it would be like to, like, be swimming in God's love. We use the word abiding a lot, but I started to have this picture of what it would look like to be like swimming in his love. That like all the atmosphere around us is, and I was just, oh, this is so good, and I love him so much, and this is, oh, just this teaching series is so good, and I was really happy about a lot of things, and then I started working on the teaching for today. And something started to happen while I was working on it, where I went from that place of being like, oh, God is so good, and oh, his love is just such a wondrous gift to like this. It started out with like a meh. It's the best way I can decide it. Inside, I just was like feeling a meh. And then it became more of like I'm feeling off. And I noticed it, and I thought, well, I think I know what that's connected to. There's some other things in my week They're kind of hard and complicated, but I don't have time right now for that. Right now, I'm working on the teaching. I have to focus on the teaching. Sunday comes no matter what I do, (laughs) so I got to focus. So we're going to set this aside, and I'm going to ignore it. And so I did that, and I kept, okay, I'm going to work, and I was praying, and I was trying to put things together. And the more I kept working and ignoring that meh feeling, the more it started to grow into something else. It grew into this like sense of just frustration. I started feeling r- really tired instead of energized and excited to like, like look at scripture, which I really enjoy doing. I just started feeling really tired and frustrated. 
And I still was like, I can't, I'll look at that later. I'll look at why I'm feeling frustrated and tired later. I have to focus on getting this teaching done. Eventually, I got to the spot where not only was I just feeling tired and frustrated, I was like, everything I have written is stupid. All the pages, all the words, dumb. It's also way too long. No one wants to sit in church for an hour and a half. But it's so long that if I cut any of it out, it's not going to make any sense. None of it. Totally senseless. And the kids are going to be upstairs. The elementary children will be upstairs this week, and they are going to be so bored by anything I say. They'll be so bored, they're going to hate church. And they're going to hate church, and they're going to hate church for the rest of their lives. And then their parents are going to be really upset with me. And instead of moving the room a little bit closer to Jesus, being a part of that work, I would actually push the entire church away from Jesus. <laughs> See, mm -hmm, that's very similar. <laughs> Internal voice. <laughs> and it's funny now, because I'm not sitting in it now, but in the moment, it was not funny. And I was just like, I look calm on the outside. I'm just like rubbing my head at my desk. <laughs> to do. And so I finally was like, okay, God, let's, let's attend to that stuff that I was noticing. I ignored it. I need your help. Please, what's going on? And when I was finally willing to pay attention to those things and pay attention to them enough that like, I brought Jesus into them and asked for his help, he was so kind and so patient, and he was just showed me, he's like, in that moment, like he gave me this awareness of, in the moment when I first started feeling the meh, it actually wasn't about some of the other circumstances that were happening in my week. It was because I had started just doing what I wanted to do for today. I, like the verse we'll go to is one of my favorite verses, so I was really excited, and so I had these plans, and I just started doing those plans instead of seeing, Jesus, is this what you're doing? Is this what you want? Is this where we're going? Is this, is this it? And instead, I was doing that, and it showed up in that meh. I just, it started to be hard. But because I ignored that and kept pushing, that meh actually turned into me feeling all this pressure, right? Pressure that I thought I could actually cause children to hate church for the rest of their lives in one day, right? That, that this is where it built up to. Because I had decided instead of resting in Jesus' love and resting in knowing that he is God and I am not, I was choosing to hold all this pressure, choosing to like take on more than what he was ever even asking me to do. And so that made my week, kind of unpleasant. It did not feel good, it did not feel life-giving. And so I finally got to where I was like, okay, Jesus, I see and I'm sorry. And he helped me. He showed his compassion and his love, and he's like, okay, let's do this together. And so with very little time <laughs> left before Sunday, he and I worked on putting something together. And so that's what I'm gonna share with us today is, where we, Jesus and I, landed on this. Okay, so, I have some questions that these are just very 
they're just really important for us all to know about each other. Would you rather swim in a pool of Nutella or a pool of marshmallow fluff? Both. <laughs> marshmallow fluff seems to be the one. Okay, marshmallow fluff, okay. That's the winner in our community. All right. Would you rather live in space or live under the sea? I feel like space like came out strong first, but then like sea like slowly showed up at the end there. So maybe a little even on that one. Okay. This one's this one's hard. This one was this one was hard for me. I was really torn. Would you rather sweat nacho cheese or smell like a skunk? <laughs> this. <laughs> This one's kind of interesting because I feel like this side of the room is the nacho cheese side and this is the skunk side. It's like you naturally already kind of fell into those places. It's hard because I really love nacho cheese and that would be good, but so many people do that if you did that, people would always be around you all the time following you around with their chips. So like, I feel like maybe the skunk is better if you need alone time. I don't know, but it's really hard. Okay, so here's the last one. One more. Would you rather talk about God's love or our sin? That's right. Everybody would rather talk about God's love. And that would be my reaction to God's love, 100%. And then, because I've been to church a real long time, if I was sitting where you were, I'd be like, and I chose the wrong day to come to church. Because I have a feeling Danielle's not going to talk about the one I would rather her talk about. Um, and you know, that's, that's a normal reaction because it's not news to anyone in this room that sin is not a popular subject. Nobody wants to talk about it, except maybe Bob Tarr. Nobody wants to hear about it. <laughs> Just the word, right, when it gets spoken, like our bodies start to get uncomfortable, gets to tense, some people's like heart rates go up a little bit. It's, it's not a popular word. But here's the deal. You know, last week and the week before, we were talking about we are already fully loved by God, already fully loved, and that God really wants to be with us and really likes to be with us. And when we look at sin through that lens, it doesn't have to be avoided. When we look at sin through the lens that we are already fully loved and God really wants to be with us, it actually ends up helping us see how marvelous his love actually is. Through that lens that we are already fully loved and God wants to be with us, we can ask the question, what is sin? And we can know that sin looks a lot of different ways the way it plays out in each of our individual lives and choices, it can look different. But at its core, sin is choosing to reject God. God really fully loves us and really, really wants to be with us, and sin is rejecting that. Sin is rejecting God. Sin is choosing to be away from God instead of with him. The choice to reject a God who loves us with a love that we can't actually fully comprehend, that we got a taste of in the room. You could feel the spirit last week. We could feel that love. 
Sin is when we reject that. So what is God's response to our sin? When we choose to reject him, what is his response? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's response to our choice to reject him is to give us the way back to him, to give us the invitation to return to him. Now that is a hard concept. It's a really big one. And this scripture verse here actually became for me like relatively meaningless. Like I grew up in a world where like this was on bumper stickers, it was on bookmarks, it was on stickers, you would, it was just everywhere, it was just this like thing. And it's like I almost saw it so much, it had lost its meaning. It became this thing that was hard for me to really know, like what did that mean for my life? What did that mean for me? Especially when I was a teenager, I just, it just didn't feel like it came together in a way that mattered to me as a person. So this verse, I know, is a powerful verse for many. But a verse that's really powerful for me is actually a collection of verses. And it's a time where Jesus is teaching to a group of people through parables. He really likes to use parables, which is a form of storytelling to help us understand a concept or a truth. And so this morning, I'd like us to take a look at that parable, the one that was able to help me really take in and understand what God's response to my sin was. So we're, we're going to go to Luke chapter 15. This verse is 11 through 32. I put it on here um, for you, but you can also use your Bibles if you want, and I'm going to read it from here. I also invite you to listen. You can even close your eyes and picture the scene and let it play in your mind or the words, whichever actually helps you be more attentive. I invite you to do so Jesus continued, because he had already been talking and teaching. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. 
He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was, a lo- he was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, I could truly talk until at least Tuesday about this parable. It is so rich. I actually think it's Jesus' best parable. It's my favorite one, but it's also his best one. Um, and there's so much to it. There's so much to it. Like, I'm not, I don't really think I'm exaggerating. I could probably talk until Tuesday about it, both its meaning and what it means to me. But (laughs) Jesus and I had our little talk, and he helped me limit it down to what it was that he actually wanted to do today. Not that all that other stuff wasn't good and really valuable and really important, but it wasn't what he wanted to focus on this morning. And so I chose to set that aside. And this is what I feel like he highlighted to me, drew my attention to the most to focus on. And that is the way that this parable that he told whoops, captures the great trick of sin and the great truth of God. The great trick of sin is that it offers us something we think we really, really need to have life and get death instead. The great trick of sin is that it offers us something we think we really need to have life and gives us death instead. We can be sure, you know, these are fictional, that Jesus is making these people up to make a point, but we can be sure, right, that that younger son was not thinking that taking his inheritance and going out and having like a wild adventure was going to land him in a field jealous over what pigs were having for dinner. When he made that choice, that is not where he think he would end up. I think the older son had no idea that all his striving, 
all his overworking, all his competing, would lead him to resent the father he was trying to please. They both chose to reject their father in different ways because they believed that what they were choosing was actually going to give them the better than that they wanted. Neither of them thought they would be stuck where they were on the other side of that choice. And this is what Satan did back in the Garden of Eden to Eve and to Adam. He was able to convince them that God is holding out on you, that there is something better than God. Here is something better than God. I don't imagine that Eve and Adam had any idea where their choice to choose the better than landed them and landed all of us. This lie that there is something more and better than God is the same lies the son here in the story. It's not overt, it's hidden, but we can know that they did not think it was gonna end badly for them. They believed something was better than God. And that there may be something better than God is the same lie that is offered to us today. It looks different, context is different, the range of ways it plays out in our lives looks different. Most of us won't end up in that field with a pig. But the lie is the same. The great trick of sin is that it offers relief, it offers solutions, it offers a form of satisfaction, a form of hope, that if we say yes to, actually leaves us hopeless, leaves us burdened, leaves us empty, leaves us worse off than before we accepted its offer. The great truth of God is that there is nothing, nothing better than him. Nothing. The great truth of God is that he actually offers us the fullness of life and delivers it. He offers us life and delivers it. The great truth of God is that if you choose to reject him, and we all do, if we choose to reject him and then choose like the sun to humbly turn, to come to our senses and admit that that was the wrong choice, the Father will always meet you, will always meet us, run to us with those open arms that are not full of pity and punishment, but are full of compassion and rejoicing. Every time, every time we turn to the Father, we will find compassion and rejoicing in our choice to turn. The great truth of God is that there is nothing better than Him. 
And something happens when we do that, right? When we see our sin for what it is, the bad choice it was, the trick that it had on us, and we turn to the Father, and then we receive his forgiveness, and we receive his mercy, and we encounter that compassion, and we encounter that love, this like, thing happens that doesn't really make sense, but God somehow actually becomes more beautiful, more wonderful, more amazing. And our trust grows in him because of the reaction that he has to our repentance of sin, to our turning from the choice that we made. Our trust grows in him, but also our love. Our love for him grows. We see a very similar story to this in Scripture, and this is an actual, like, true story. It's not Jesus telling a parable. It's an actual thing that happened with Jesus. And he had been invited by a Pharisee to come over for dinner, and, you know, he wasn't really popular with the Pharisees, so I'm not really sure why they invited him, but they did, and he was having dinner with him, and this woman called the sinful woman sneaks into the dinner party. And when she comes in, she comes up to Jesus and begins to wet his feet with her tears and begins to wipe his feet with her tears. And then she kisses his feet and she pours perfume on his feet. And this sinful woman coming in and touching Jesus disgusts the Pharisees. You must reject that woman. In fact, if you were really the prophet you claim you are, you would reject that woman. You would kick her out of the party and you would let everyone see that you did. That's what they wanted. That's what they expected. And Jesus responds to their criticism. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You put no oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Her over-the-top, demonstrative, public love of Jesus was evidence of how much she had been forgiven. I want us to just pause for a minute. I invite you to close your eyes. One of the things that Jesus spoke to me when I was praying with him is that I was trying to make words do what only he can. And so I want us to just be patient for a minute and just hold space for God. Come, Holy Spirit.
Jesus, you know who in this room needs to be touched by you this morning, needs to be held by you, needs to have their heart convinced how much joy you have for them. Let that happen, Jesus. There's so much about God that is mystery. The way his ways, I don't know, just baffle me. And so Jesus, help us enter that mystery to let go of needing to understand with our minds, but just have encounter with you this morning. We're going to be doing worship or a communion here this morning in a minute. And communion is a, a practice of remembering. Remembering the cross and remembering what Jesus bore for us. But it's also a remembering of God's character, of Jesus' character of all the things that we have been freed from because of his love. It's an opportunity to re really soak in, reminding ourselves that God is better than, always better than everything else.